This week on Theme Park Workshop, the podcast, it's a brand new season and we're back with a lot of news. That's right. We're going to kick some ice with this uh, news, this great news. We yeah, got ice. And we're talking about Icebreaker in our main segment because I got to go ride it and I have thoughts. Yeah, who also has thoughts who's going to be in this episode. Oh, oh, yeah. Yep. yep. New, That's new happening. updated segment featuring a... Uh, a fan favorite, and more. This week on Theme Park Workshop, the podcast. Woot woot. Hey, howdy, hey, viewers, and welcome to Theme Park Workshop, the podcast. We are back for a brand new season of the podcast, season two, actually. And of course... I'm your host, Jonathan Edward, and my co-host, well, I'm a co-host too, but my co-host, Adam Johnson, is here with me. Adam, how has your break been? Well, it's very nice to see you. That's my Arnold Schwarzenegger impression because we're talking about SeaWorld and Icebreaker. But yes, my, my break, it's been wonderful. I've been playing a lot of Nintendo Switch. I've been hmm. thinking about watching a lot of movies and not watching them because I'm on my Nintendo Switch and doing work and uh, did i tell you about the nintendo switch it's a wonderful console and rpgs take up a lot of time you know that there are there are worse ways to live there are uh one one way could be just quoting arnold schwarzenegger from batman and robin and you're just gonna be like all right chill i was thinking there's another worse way to live and that could be waiting eight hours in line for a figment popcorn bucket oh yeah that's pretty bad that's pretty bad. How do you feel about how do you feel about this drama? Just kind of hopping right into the news. Sure. Uh, what what do you think of this? Disney releases a original Figment popcorn bucket, and there is such a high demand for it that before Epcot has even officially opened, the longest line in the park is for this bucket. You got eBay retailers or eBay resellers buying. 8, 10, 15, working in packs of people to upload them and resell them for three, four hundred $400. Because there's a demand. There's demand for Figment. What do you, how do you feel about all this? Um, well, I think the practice of reselling and scalping should be put on ice. And um, I wouldn't wait eight hours for a Figment bucket. Uh, that's just me. I don't have that connection to Figment that a lot of people do. If you I have a connection switch. to imagination. What was that? If you brought your Switch. No, I'm not taking that to Disney. <laughs> it, could, it could get wet on Frozen Ever After. Come on. It could fall on Sauron. A lot of bad things could happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't have that connection to Figment to wait hours and hours for the bucket. I do know some folks who waited two hours for it. That sounds more reasonable than eight hours. But the, it's the same thing with video games, though. Like People trying to pick up their PlayStation 5 or their Xbox Series, they, they can't because... People who are only in it to resell them are taking up a bunch of space for everyone else. Um, I do I do think it's good, though, that some good came out of it where I believe, I don't know how much it was, but a lot of money was raised for charity because someone, as a joke, drew a very bad picture uh, of the figment bucket and put it on eBay just to see what would happen. And a lot of money was raised. And so that's that's good. And I'm glad people who got it, who wanted it, they got it, you know. I don't want to yuck your yum. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. Charity is always good. And I think 
there there's you know there's something very grim about about the ebay resellers and the fact that you know disney has allowed people to to make a living this way um you know as a child myself uh when i was very much into collecting theme park maps i saw that those would sell for like 10 or 15 dollars for opening day on ebay and i'm like dad i can finance my trip to opening day of transformers i'll just pick up 10 or 12 of the grand opening day maps if i sell them for ten dollars a piece i'll pay for my one day ticket um i feel like that is slightly more ethical than than the yeah the they, they give those out for free so they, yeah, they give them out for your free. fault if you're not there and, and stuff right yeah. it's like everybody has equal opportunity to get those and they're of their value is of not necessarily sentimental nature but of exclusivity um which kind of well, i say i say it's more sentimental than like um uh galaxy's edge spork or a yeah. pigment bucket although i guess the sporks were free too so i don't know maybe i'm contradicting myself <laughs> the, the sporks were free air quotes well at first you bought your food you got your spork no no people stole those right yeah yeah they stole those and so they could resell them on ebay they weren't free oh 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 sorry okay i forgot the whole thing that was actually reusable silverware that they gave out the park not not something you could take it, no no that was the thing oh yeah. right it was theft. Yeah. Good point. Good point. That's why they got rid of them. We haven't recorded in like a month. I'm rusty. <laughs> no, no, that's that's okay. Do you think that Disney got the right idea from this? Do you think that the demand for the Figment popcorn bucket is an encouragement that they should do more with Figment and revamp the ride? Or do you think it says Figment is perfectly fine being in its current state because he's already this popular? What What's your thought? I don't have Josh DeMaro's ear, unfortunately. <laughs> I think Disney has known there's been a some fan base that's passionate for Figment because the Figment pins are are popular. They did a Dreamfinder comic book. I don't think it bombed with the yeah. whole Disney Kingdoms Marvel series. There are some people who genuinely genuinely do like the ride. Uh, Eric Idle is not one of them, it would appear. <laughs> um, but I think I think that demand, even taking into account that a, a a decent chunk of that eight hour line was scalpers, keeping even even with that in mind, I think Disney would probably see, oh, these are selling out. There are plenty of people in this crowd that do like them. They're not all going on eBay. I would hope that they take away. Let's revamp this ride into a new version. Keep Figment, one of our original characters. Yeah, yeah. I can't see Figment disappearing from Epcot in some way, shape, or form with his current level of popularity and merch sales. Yeah. It could be, too. It could. I mean, I don't know if the Imagineers like the ride, but maybe the takeaway is, oh, people like this ride enough as it is to buy character buckets of this character in this current iteration. Like, his popularity hasn't died because the ride sucks. Why do we have to replace it? Yeah, that's, that's it. Just seems to be the Disney mentality. It's, um, I don't know if they would give some TLC to a bad ride if it's got that fan base. Like Enchanted Tiki Room might not be the most popular, but it has enough of a fan base that it came back. And I think they even they might have done a refurb afterwards too to like spruce up a couple of things. Yeah, I think I think that's the that's the ultimate dilemma is that disney's current strategy has been to fix things that don't necessarily need fixing as they as they go through and and replace things like you know soaring over the world you know that was 
that was probably you know multi-million dollar production building the extra theater was anybody complaining about the original outside of the long line it's like well no not really was was that the thing epcot needed the most (sighs) but you know i can also see the thought process too where it's a california film in florida and it's disneyland not the magic kingdom in the film we should probably do it more akin to the identity of epcot so i understand that change it was a necessary change at the time no yeah but at the same time you know yeah but yeah moving on to epcot there's been much talk or continuing in epcot there's been much talk about the guardians of the galaxy zandarian ship um and notably it does not defy the laws of physics and has a a giant steel beam connecting it to the ground which has sparked a debate among fans is the concept art showing that this is just going to be a a steel beam holding up the ship that will be unthemed or does the concept art show that it's themed if so how will disney theme it um it sparked many jokes many memes comparing it to the giant mickey wand on the side of the epcot ball for the i want to say it was the 25th anniversary that had that steel frame building up to it but yeah what's 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 your thoughts on this and I've been quoting Arnold Schwarzenegger a lot this episode. I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot. I'm gonna pivot. I'm gonna quote another great actor, Harrison Ford. Um, I don't care. <laughs> this I is don't this care. is this is like uh well these these are the same Disney fans that were coming after Universal because Velocicoaster had exposed steel um and was not as themed as a Disney coaster because you can see the supports. Even though that was that was the theme of the roller coaster, which you know maybe they maybe they judged a little prematurely there on on that thematic criticism, but I think uh, Disney's kind of locked themselves into a bubble. You show exposed steel, uh, you get criticized. I don't care. I'm looking at the picture. It's not that bad from what I can see of the you know behind the fence. I don't think kids who are going on the ride will care. <laughs> Uh, if I'm a kid, go. If I were a kid going on this ride, I pass. I'm like, oh, look, cool! It's a ship. I wonder what that's from. Well, it's from the Guardians of the Galaxy, little dude. Oh, wow! Can we watch that movie? Whoa, voice crack. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know. You're about ten years old. Uh, you should probably wait. There's some naughty jokes in there. Oh, okay. Can we still ride the ride? Yeah, we can. Oh, it's 120 minutes. Well, let's just go on Figment. Like, I think that's what <laughs> would happen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know everything's a debate. I know everything's a discourse, but of all the things that we've talked about on the show, uh, this is what I care the least about. <laughs> I'm I'm with you there. I'm sure Imagineering has some way to cover it. And honestly, I think it's a very nice icon for that attraction. Although, um, not to bring back boarding group discourse because we have we have talked about this, you know, time and time again. But we have. I, I'm I'm not sure if I'll go ride guardians when it opens this summer just because i don't have an ap right now and i don't want to pay buy them well yeah <laughs> you can't but also as of the recording on february 2nd that's groundhog day um mickey mouse has not seen his shadow or has seen his shadow i don't know how groundhog day works totally ruined that joke but uh yeah we're just so gotta pay the big bucks for the one pass available yeah you know? Either that or, which, and you know, the Pixie Dust Pass will not be available on opening day for Guardians. But um, 
yeah just the idea of having to buy a single ticket and if i can only ride once because boarding groups are still in place i i would i'm gonna hold out until i can go and just spend a day riding that ride to form an opinion on it and like i don't know when, when i absorb a new ride i like to just take a day and devote it to that attraction to rewriting it and getting a feel for you know what it's like and what do i think try it in you know different seats if possible um and it kind of sucks that you know with with disney's new stuff you can't really do that at least not for a couple months after until after it opens so that's my thoughts on on guardians really quick just so i don't know if adam will be able to go ride it when uh it opens i don't know able to sure will i want to at the time i don't know i want to ride the ride sure um but i don't know we'll see what we'll see what happens when we get around there i don't know if i'll make a special trip up just myself um it might be like you know my brother and his girlfriend they want to go to the parks again it's like okay yeah sure i'll tag along if you you'll have me and and all that i mean that's kind of what happened when we went to galaxy's edge when we went to hollywood studios last year it was like oh it's your birthday cousin <laughs> yeah um yeah let's you've never you've never been uh it's a great park with great rides yeah let's let's do it let's have fun yeah um that's what you know theme parks are great for yeah well we'll, yeah. we'll see when the time comes is it really coming out this summer i thought it was 2023 oh the movie's coming out in 2023 rides this summer that's why they're they're finishing it up and then and the holiday special is this november this december yeah it's supposed to be this christmas so that's exciting but moving to the other side of the universe epic universe. Ah, I, <laughs> I just totally like, yelled over your segue sorry no i was, I was <laughs> proud of it. it it deserved it deserved the fanfare but epic universe the rumors have have been swirling that the unnamed un unknown show in the monsters land has been swapped for an outdoor roller coaster to provide higher capacity as well as reduce the chance of one of the shows getting cut because the rumor is there is going to be a show in wizarding world and there will also be a show in uh how to train your dragon and so what theme park has started with three major big shows and kept all three i think they're they're trying to weed out the weakest one beforehand and replace it with something that's a a safer bet of course twitter is you know in 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 shambles over these vague rumors with no confirmation or or evidence but i honestly think that this is a really solid idea i think if you do end up fully fleshing out monsters land with the black lagoon ride that's a really cool combination to have an indoor kooka ride that's all physical sets have like some sort of glass bottom boat jaws style throwback to the creature of the black lagoon and then a classic coaster that's that's just a really solid combination of attractions for a land and i think any land should desire to have as much yeah, so I like theme park shows. I think a great theme park show is one of the greatest things. I think Universal has done a lot of great theme park shows. They've done some crap, like Eighth Voyage of Sinbad. But by and <laughs> large, if there's any theme park I'm going to stop and watch a show, it's Universal. Blues Brothers is so much fun. Born Stuntacular is just, you know, next level. Yeah. Uh, maybe not the script, but everything else about it, next level. And Horror Makeup Show need i say more right yeah no i'm fully with you there 
so universal having a park with three shows i think is an exciting thing it's um harry potter show makes sense uh, or wizarding world it might be fantastic beasts who knows <laughs> but uh that dragon show is probably going to be the one from beijing which by all accounts i think it won theme park insiders show of the year best yeah. new show of the year which for a new show you know where not a whole lot of theme park fans that are on that site can go see it that is huge yeah so and i love my monsters i love my universal monsters and i don't know what other attractions they really have planned for monsters land if that's still in the plans um i don't know what you know would be balanced i don't know if that means two roller coasters or a dark ride in a roller coaster versus a dark ride versus a show uh again none of this is confirmed until universal even confirms there's a monsters land I'm, I'm happy for monsters content and when you said it i was not familiar with this rumor so when you said it's a kooka roller coaster with creature from the black lagoon i think that sounds really exciting uh because creature from the black lagoon i don't love the movie but i uh, that character is a lot of fun uh has scared me uh in the 2019 universal monsters maze uh, i remember we were going through it and i recognized what room we were in which is the black lagoon room and i'm like oh, I know what this means. It's the creature of the Black Lagoon. Run! <laughs> I don't know why. I think I just got nervous. It was the first maze and whatnot. So, like, he's a lot of fun. I'm glad that he's getting, you know, that Gilman is getting some interest uh, from from creative. And I know he's got a lot of fan favorites or a lot of fans. He's a fan favorite amongst many Monsters fans is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So that sounds great. I'll write it if they do a show. I will watch it. I don't know if it'd be a scary show. I don't know if it'd be more like Beetlejuice. Uh, I don't know if it'd be more like Carnival of Carnage that they did in, uh, I don't know what year it was, uh, HHN 16 or 20 or, you know, uh, Horror Nights fans, tell me in the comments what year it is because I'm blanking. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what direction they would go with it because I think it can go in a lot of directions just with the breadth of, of tones that that franchise has had. Invisible Man is kind of a comedy. Bride of Frankenstein is high-key a comedy, but it's also very dramatic. Uh, the Mummy is a fun action movie with horror elements, whereas Dracula and the U32 Mummy play straight horror. And these are scary creatures. They're scary monsters, and Universal has done a really good job of portraying that in the past. Uh, I don't know how you would make it scary in a show. I know how you can make it scary in a ride. You know, Forbidden yeah. Journey and Mummy still pack, you know, some frights. Uh, so I think what I'm just trying to say is anything they put in the Monsters Land, I'll be happy with. I also love shows at Universal. Yeah. And so I'd be happy for that. I'm bummed that we're losing a show. But if if this is going to get more people into a Monsters Land to have a roller coaster and it'll last longer, maybe get some expansions in the future. Yeah, I'm totally cool for that. Yeah. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. All right. Last thing on our news document. Uh SeaWorld is looking to buy out Cedar Fair for $3.4 million, which is kind of big because... Six oh, no, 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 Jonathan. Not million. B -b -b billion Oh, you're, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> In the show notes, that would be a very different discussion if it was $3.4 million. Yeah, That but... would be so undervaluing Cedar Fair, even <laughs> if, like, the parks were in shambles. Like, no way can you pick Cedar Fair, the company, up for more than a million dollar listing on Bravo. 
But yeah, so Six Flags tried to buy out Cedar Fair. I want to say it was one or two years ago, and they offered $4 billion. And mm-hmm. the thing that's happened since then is the pandemic. And unlike SeaWorld and Six Flags and Universal and to an extent Disney, uh, Cedar Fair has probably handled it the worst of all of the theme park chains. Uh, just from inconsistent guidelines to just not reopening parks, not being able to staff, you know, no no major capital investments really too open. Uh, one of the things that's kept SeaWorld afloat is the, you know, all of their parks have these big new attractions that were anticipated right before COVID. But what SeaWorld has also done is they have put themselves in the black by really appealing to locals and offering, you know, this new structured pass system. Uh, I know SeaWorld has tons and tons of events. It seems like they are throwing everything at the wall from introducing Hello Scream in Orlando to bringing in all these concerts. Like every festival, I feel like there's 20 acts announced. And like, you know, there's just, there's a culture and an atmosphere to it. And I see it on, on Twitter. There's, you know, a group of people who, you know, bond over SeaWorld and like just the the connection that they've established with their core fans. There's a trust that they've built. Um, which I don't think the Cedar Park Fair Parks have. And I think SeaWorld is kind of high off of the guest spending per capita. Even if attendance isn't necessarily where they want it yet, they are still raking in the dough. So they think they're in a good position to purchase Cedar Fair. Um, I know the big concerns from a lot of people are that if this happens, SeaWorld won't be able to spread their capital as widely because like, you don't have the... Like, you wouldn't have SeaWorld opening a major coaster in every park like you currently have. Because if you have all these extra Cedar Fair parks, all of a sudden, you know, new attractions in your home park is going to be a lot slimmer. Um, And then the other argument is that it would take away from the aspect of competition, uh, especially parks that are close to each other, like Knott's Berry Farm and SeaWorld San Diego, as well as uh, Busch Gardens Williamsburg and King's Dominion in Virginia. Um, parks might get cut because they are so close and consolidated as does happen in mergers. So that's kind of the nature of the situation. Uh, go ahead and give your thoughts on it, Adam. Yeah. The first thought I had when I heard it announced after I went, what? After that thought, my first thought was those brands to me seem so different. SeaWorld is about and whether they succeed at that, that's up to debate. But what they're, they've been about is learning about animals and thrill rides that are access points to that learning. You see that at SeaWorld Orlando. You see that at Bush Tampa. I'm sure you see it at the other parks, the other regional parks. I just haven't been there to confirm or deny. But I'm fairly positive that that's been the the um way that they have gone that's how i feel about sesame place (laughs) no not really i'm shaking my head yeah it's the odd duck but yeah i get what you're saying yeah so that seemed odd to me at first on the other hand it kind of does make sense because what SeaWorld and bush gardens have done to really stand apart against a universal or a disney uh which at least in orlando and, and tampa you know you see what other parks in the area 
Well, you got Fun Spot. Okay. But then you got Universal and Disney. That's really, I've always seen that as the competition for SeaWorld Bush. Uh, but what makes them stand apart isn't the animals. That's their added value. But what keeps people coming back is the roller coasters and the thrill rides. And they make some great ones that, oh, yeah, that kind of does feel like a Cedar Fair, uh, Cedar Point kind of thing. You know, maybe not trying to break records with each one in the way they were trying to do with, like, Top Thrill Dragster. That's a Cedar, right? Yeah. Okay. But they have they they have uh, uh, gone quite a ways to make thrilling roller coasters for coaster fans in the same way Cedar does. So that does make sense. I'm looking over the Bloomberg article again because uh, that's who broke it, Bloomberg, which they really don't report on this acquisition stuff unless they can really back it up. Uh, so this is not a rumor. This is pretty close to legit. Yeah. Um, it's not just like you know maybe this could happen. It's like, no, this is, uh, Cedar Fairs even acknowledged it. They said it was unsolicited. They just offered the money. We're talking about it. Uh, At the end of the article, it says, the potential deal also indicates that consolidation may be ramping up in the theme park industry, which remains fairly fragmented in the U.S., despite being dominated by a half dozen major players. I think we can all imagine who those are. SeaWorld, then says SeaWorld and Cedar Fair have both been subject to takeover speculation through the years. Um, so with that sentence in mind, my very, uh, not a theme park expert here, uh, not an industry expert. This is me just taking my guess is they're kind of doing a, a Dawn of the Planet of the Apes thing. Apes together strong. Both of these guys, you know, who have been subject to takeovers, it's like, what if we just kind of merged? What if we teamed up? We can help each other. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be that symbiotic relationship because SeaWorld's the one buying Cedar Fair for 0.3 billion more, I think, than their current market value. <laughs> um, so there's that. Um, they obviously see that there's a potential value in it, um, and I, I can see where they would find the potential value. I was just taken aback by those brands seem so dissimilar. And the way I know SeaWorld and Busch Gardens, but in the ways that I revisit Busch Gardens and SeaWorld, okay, yeah, that does make sense. I don't know, though, if it would be successful. I think that's a big question mark in everyone's minds. Yeah, there's a fear of consolidation and monopoly and whatnot, especially like January was full of acquisitions that Bloomberg also reported on, like uh, Mm -hmm. Microsoft buying out Activision Blizzard two major video game companies and Sony just bought the folks who put Microsoft gaming on the map <laughs> with Bungie and of course we're seeing the dire repercussions of Disney buying 20th Century Fox with all the Fox Indies just like bombing left and right because of bad planning on Disney's part so yeah we're seeing in real time how this is a really bad thing and I'm not going to say that this is worse because I, I don't know if it's better or worse, but I can see how this might be more of a mutual benef- uh, bene- uh What's the verb form of benefit? <laughs> it's a mutual benefit. It could be a mutual benefit for Cedar and SeaWorld because both have had rough financial periods. Yeah. Uh, SeaWorld, especially after Blackfish, Cedar, especially after the pandemic, that they could probably kind of take from each other's playbook to improve both. Yeah, I think that's what would happen. SeaWorld's, as you said, we're going to get less into SeaWorld, probably. We're going to get less into Bush Gardens, probably, as they work to kind of help 
cedar and but they'll probably also take from cedar like oh here's some great roller coaster you know things we can do or regional park things we can do or maybe they'll they'll take like hey maybe we'll close down this cedar fair park and just transfer some rides to our bush gardens and they could do that too fill them out because you're you're buying all the assets and that's a lot of roller coasters did you say that um uh cedar owns knots cedar owns knots knots is interesting although knots is knots is they're owned by cedar but cedar doesn't micromanage them as much as the other parks just because knots has such a culture and history around it that a lot of the other parks don't really have um from before it was bought up by cedar fair so like there's things that cedar fair does at knots like knots got um i think for i forget they celebrated some sort of anniversary and they got like a redo of like one of their old dark rides and they're like their old log flume that's like got animatronics got refurbished like there's a lot of things that happen at knots that you would not see cedar fair doing at other parks um it's very much very much a special special gem in cedar fair lineup but you know adam there's been somebody who has been missing from the show for for one episode he was in the last episode <laughs> he's he's been out for for as long as we have yeah but um honestly i know who you're talking about we're also talking about bb27 uh he was missing in so many episodes the fan outcry was so large that i started to miss him and he came that's that's what you're talking about right jonathan no no i'm i'm talking about the one and only balthazar banshee i didn't didn't we promise him a segment on the show at the end of last season oh yeah i guess that did happen dang it christmas makes me too sentimental all right <laughs> banshee take it away hello imbeciles and intellects all alike my name is balthazar banshee and this is the balthazar banshee beat that's right, new season, new alliterative name, new background music, and I promise you this, my faithful furry friends, more airtime for me, Balthazar Banshee. Ha! First, I need to address something my listeners sent into my Twitter DMs. Disney's Animal Kingdom has introduced a brand new merchandise item, Talking Banshees. I hope before you impulse send that tweet, you realize the irony. I and the original Banshees are the Talking Banshees. We always have been. These quote-unquote Talking Banshees are nothing more than glorified Furbies and far less interesting. They purr, they flap their wings, and you may think they look so pretty. But what was wrong with 1.0? Indeed, it is a conspiracy on the level of the Resources Development Administration and Disney is Stephen Lay. Uh, the RDA? Is that what the RDA stands for? Indeed. To erase the originals full of personality with a newer, lesser version. But I shouldn't be surprised. We all know how the store wind traders be. But it stings all the same. Breaking news on this Twitter. Breaking news on this Twitter. Disney World likes to charge you. This week on Diz Twitter, Twitterers were surprised that no, food and merchandise are not included in your Galactic Star Cruiser experience. Shocker. In other news, Tomorrowland Speedway is a waste of space, 
and the Hogwarts Express is a blacklight disco. These are the facts of life, people. Next thing, you'll tell me you're upset Disney isn't spending untold millions to make the Nova Corps starship fly outside Cosmic Rewind. This just in, people are upset about that, too. Sharing the same understanding of science as Flat Earthers. Just what we need in the year 2022. This has been your Balthazar Banshee Beat, and I will see you next time. Banshee out. Well, I think that kind of wrapped uh, wrapped up the news right there. Those were, I guess we kind of took all the headlines from it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't we, think we anyone's talking about stuff. any of that. Yeah, I, you know, the Galactic Star... Whoa, Galactic Star Cruiser, that is a whole another can of worms that we are not going to open tonight. No, that is going to stay closed, but thank you for the update, Balthazar Banshee. I'm looking forward to the next installment of the Balthazar Banshee beat. Like the name, like the music, I'm iffy on you, but, you know, new season, new rules, it's like Scream 4. Yeah, this podcast is as good as Scream 4, and oh, Scream 4 only. is great. Scream 4 yes. is oh, it's it, beautiful. We beautiful. have to make clear our opinions, because I know a lot of people have un- unnecessary hatred for that film, but before we get too off track, Icebreaker. It is time to talk about Icebreaker and just SeaWorld is a, in a and just and just SeaWorld as a whole because we have not talked about SeaWorld on this show a whole lot. We as you know are are uh, a little bit universal biased here. Um our topics just tend to to go towards universal which may or may not have to do with the fact that we have universal passes, but lo and behold SeaWorld has opened a brand new roller coaster, and any new roller coaster in Orlando is worth talking about, unless it's that coaster they imported at Fun Spot that nobody talked about because it's a it's a Fun Spot import coaster. But yes, Icebreaker. I got I've never to been to Fun it. Spot, so I wouldn't talk about it. You haven't been to a water park, so we're gonna do a water park episode when you go to your first water park, my friend. I can't wait to experience it in twenty thirty. <laughs> <laughs> That's a for legal reasons. That's a joke. I I will be recording Adam's first drop on one of the Dropbox water slides. Just just so you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what, what were you saying about the Iceman comic? Yeah. So Icebreaker is the newest coaster at SeaWorld Orlando. It was originally slated to open in 2020. That did not happen because of the COVID nineteen pandemic, and so now it is finally opening this is a coaster built by premier rides uh they're known for their launch coasters specifically i think west coast racers is their probably biggest most famous work um but they also worked on revenge of the mummy at universal they have good launches and i think SeaWorld has been known for building b&m coasters in the past they they work with b&m and that's about it um other parks they've worked with people like different manufacturers in the past but usually it's mac rides mac built all their journey to atlantises um, mac built their manta in san diego um and then they got a batman the ride clone in san antonio and then a a, a morgan hyper coaster there but this is this is something new for SeaWorld, and i think the biggest reason is because they wanted a launch coaster and b&m as of right now does not have a accessible launching model and so it makes sense that they went to premiere 
um, who they have worked with before for the Tigris and Tempesto at the Busch Gardens parks, respectively. And I got to say, this is a really unique coaster. I really enjoyed <laughs> it, and it's 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 a great fit for the park, I think. And um, I, I don't know how much how much well how much how much do you know about this coaster, Adam? Because I know I I wrote it today, so I have a lot to say. But uh, yeah, why so don't you go ahead and update the viewers on what you know about this. So yes, obviously I've not written it. I don't have a SeaWorld pass. I have a Busch Gardens pass, uh, but not the one for SeaWorld. Um, because <laughs> I guess there's a duo. Anyway, that doesn't matter. That's not yeah. important. What is important is um, yeah, I've not written it. Uh, I have seen the ride video quite a few times. Um, and the the first impressions I got was it looks like a fun coaster. It doesn't look like a game-changing coaster. Not that everything has to be game-changing, but, like, Mako left a big impression. Manta left a big impression. Icebreaker looked like, okay, this is kind of the filler coaster in the way, say, Cobra's Curse is. Yeah. Although maybe that's my favorite Cobra's Curse. It always has the longest line. But, like, Shikra at Busch Gardens, that's a big roller coaster. And, 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 uh... Montu, these are and Cheetah Hunt, those are headliners. This kind of felt more like the one that's off in the corner, and when there's more roller coasters, it'll make more sense in the grand scheme of things. That was my first impression uh, when they announced it. That said, it looked like fun, but didn't look like something that's going to get me to Sea World to pay a hundred dollars and whatnot. Yeah, that was my first impression. That's what I know about it. Uh, yeah. I also didn't know what the purpose of the switch track or the track moving into place. Um, I don't know if that was going to help them in the long run with capacity or if that was going to cause more capacity issues uh, down the line. But as a guest on the ride, I could imagine that it wouldn't make any difference really to the ride experience. It's just kind of there. But I've, you've been on it. You've yeah. done it several times. So I'm just going to ask you questions uh, as you go around. So what are your I don't know if you gave your first impressions already. You you said a lot, but what were your first impressions or first specific impressions? It's a very creative coaster. And I think in today's coaster landscape, if you're not building something that's biggest, tallest, fastest, unique is the way to go. And this is unlike anything else we have in Orlando. So in that sense, mm -hmm. I think absolutely brilliant. There is a really fun, I know you, t you talked about the, the sidetrack. That's such a unique way to start the ride because like you pull out onto the sidetrack and then like you slowly move into place and then all of a sudden you know you launch right backwards um and uh you you mentioned what the reasoning is for having that it's so that they can run two trains on the track uh mm -hmm. if you didn't have the switch track you wouldn't be able to do a slingshot launch um gotcha. where it goes backwards and forwards because otherwise um like you have to switch somewhere you could do a haggard style turn like how it does for its thing and do a slingshot launch from that but they just decided to do the switch track. And I think it works because it allows you to go, you ultimately get launched four times, once backwards, once forwards, once backwards again, that brings you to the top of the spike. And then the big one that takes you through the rest of the course. I I don't know. I, I think just launching back and forth four times is a really satisfying experience. That's not something that you usually get on a on a roller coaster, just get to go on the same piece of track. And then you still get, like a decent roller coaster experience after that. Um, and it also warms up kids too, because it doesn't start bringing you up 
a certain height and then the first thing that you experience is a big drop it's like yeah the first thing you experience is a backward launch you're like oh okay you know the coaster is kind of gentle and then it goes forwards backwards and then by the time you get to the the big launch you're you know you're fully locked in and having fun and as far as SeaWorld's coaster lineup it goes grover and then journey to atlantis which is not really a stepping stone coaster because it's so little coaster and then right. you got to choose Kraken, Mako, or Manta. And all of those are so intense. So I totally understand why you would say this isn't a coaster that's going to bring you out to SeaWorld. But as far as what was needed in their lineup, I think this was absolutely necessary. Yeah. And I don't think if Iron Gwazi was being built and opening at the same time, I wouldn't have drawn the comparison. So I'm thinking if you can only go to one of these places – to experience a new ride, you're going to go to SeaWorld or you're going to go to Busch Gardens. I right. think most people are going to be drawn to Busch Gardens to experience Iron Gwazi, um, which terrifies me way more than Icebreaker does. <laughs> so actually, I might maybe I would take the SeaWorld ticket over the <laughs> Busch Gardens ticket because I look at that and I tremble. Um, Icebreaker, it looks fun, like a Cheetah Hunt or a Hagrid's. But one thing I was um, noticing uh, the past time I watched a POV was that the it resembled Tigris, but in a more family coaster kind of way, where there is the back and forth launch. There is the orange track, funny enough. Yeah. Um, when you were on it, did you think about Tigris at all? Yes, you hit the nail right on the head. The track has that same tight feeling. Uh, also, this applies to the cars and the restraints, which are so unnecessary i cannot help but think that on a car like this first of all you can't walk all the way across the seat just standing up you have to like bend and turn because the restraints don't come up enough that you can just walk straight through the coaster car which makes it very difficult to get in and out of i can imagine only even more so for those um who are larger but like if if, if or have like accessibility you know yeah um, so on that on that end premieres trains are and they're just as bad as tigers on tigers i can at least understand the comfort collar here it's it's so unnecessary and not not only that it's just like the comfort collar is not attached to anything so it just sits down so you have to try and sit down and then the comfort collar's behind you then you got to reach up and pull it over your head and then you got to click it in yourself with this really just not user-friendly clicking mechanism I can only imagine how long it's going to take to load people into this. And that will, that will likely just hurt capacity so much because these restraints are so confusing. It's just like riding Velocicoaster and just having that lap bar just come down, lock you in, and you're good to go. And then yeah. coming onto a coaster like this where the seats are so tightened and cramped because you have shin restraints, and then you have the lap bar, and then you have this comfort collar that clicks into the lap bar that does nothing on this coaster that doesn't even go upside down it's so unnecessary and i'll be honest just the uncomfortable seating and getting in and out does take my opinion of the ride down a little bit as fun as it is once you get on just technology has progressed beyond whatever these restraints are doing so yeah um and i don't know how you feel about how restraint restraints affect your ride experience yeah so i know Growing up, it was always a comfort if there was a shoulder restraint. Yeah. After riding a Velocicoaster, I don't feel that as much. 
like i'm like oh okay i'm honestly safe in here now the my brother and i talk about this all the time that the mako restraints that lap bar is so free and open uh that it frightens both of us i always feel like it's like a leap of faith every time we go down that drop (laughs) um i think i like my butt leaves the seat and i'm like oh i'm just relying on the force against my shins right now not my shins not my shins uh thighs it's it's the clamshell that goes yeah yeah Yeah. um so yeah with a coaster that sounds this mild i don't know why they felt the need to have the comfort collar especially when in the same area in the same family you got iron guazi which is way more intense with only a lap bar no comfort collar you got velocicoaster which is one of the most uh you know wild roller coasters there there is right now uh, in the area only a lap bar maybe it's to make the kids feel or you know starter roller coaster fans feel more comfortable getting on it um but i also don't necessarily understand why we've got the shin guards going on i know like universal with their more mild roller coasters like gringotts and uh mummy there's some shin guard action going on um or like uh they don't perfectly fit and they're not absolutely necessary they don't have to like they don't be a perfect fit but they are there um and if, if i'm in the back rows my my legs aren't fitting and they're floating and it's so weird uh, so it's it's it is weird that on this roller coaster though that they felt that was necessary. Yeah. Do you know why they would have felt that was necessary? I think it's just premiere. I just think they haven't innovated the same way as the other companies. Maybe there's restrictions on what restraints have been patented by other companies, and so they're working with what they have. But yeah, these trains just I I can only imagine like even when there were a few people there today, it's still just people being confused by how this works and like like even with the over the shoulders on like cheetah hunt or chic or the bnms it's such a simple like you see the flat little piece you click it in boom you're done this one is like yeah. i and I'm, you've been on tigris so you you know how yeah yeah, yeah. Colors works it's that weird style click thing and there's no there's no like button that you're there's no tab that you pull you have to like push down on the metal thing and then weave it out it's it's just a disaster from a yeah but as you're saying with tigris it kind of makes sense because there is that suspended inversion element where yeah that collar is definitely there for your comfort because you probably freaking the heck out if you were hanging i i can't i don't do that ride like at all i've rode it once and it was just too intense for me that's kind of one like i'm really like nervous about getting back on it um and getting out of that section was probably a contributing factor but does icebreaker you said doesn't even have any, any inversions does it no no inversions hmm. so it's uh, yeah like i said i mean i wasn't a fan of tigress's restraints um but this you asked if i thought of tigress while riding it yes as far as the tight turns and everything it has the launch the launch feels similar you know the back and forth to it the orange track it's hard to not think of tigress um, but I, I cannot say enough how perfect of a fit this ride is for the park. I just wish the seats were more accommodating. And honestly, bravo to SeaWorld for making this a full circuit coaster and something that they can have one train loading in the station while the other one runs the course. Because while I was there, it would be like perfect timing. Like as we finished up loading in the station, the next train was pulling right in. And so that's going to lead to maximum efficiency on what I imagine will be a very popular coaster with families. I will say, I don't think, you were talking about how Cheetah Hunt is kind of like a standout coaster at Busch Gardens. This does not serve 
the same function as Cheetah Hunt as far as marketing. I feel like Cheetah Hunt was a lot bigger just because of, I think throw-wise, Cheetah Hunt and Icebreaker are very similar in terms of the throws that they provide. Cheetah Hunt was a much bigger project for Bush Gardens in terms of scope and scale and the yeah. breadth of how long it is. Well, that's your magnetic launch too. Yeah. Um, they're building a whole exhibit with it. Yeah. Icebreaker very much feels like we got the budget for this project and we didn't really have anything any money other than to to build the coaster and give it I mean the the station is bare. The line there's like one graphic on the wall, the rest of it is just switchbacks. Um this is very it, I mean it feels like six flags plus as far mm. as presentation um still very confused about the idea of icebreaker as far as a theme for this coaster yeah. um it, we, i mean you can saw you can say it's like close to wild arctic um which is you know a whole nother story so it makes sense that like okay arctic we're putting we're trying to put this arctic area together we're expanding that what are we going to do icebreaker okay thematically that makes sense why are the supports teal and the track orange? Um, and, you know, as far as theming around, like, everything is themed to, like, those crates that you always see when you see the Arctic or the Antarctic in movies. Like, you see the, these giant, you know, crates with, like, the ridge texture. Uh, that's how the gift shop is themed. That's how the control booth is themed. There's uh, some original music in the queue, which is nice. Um, yeah, I know a friend of ours, uh, Landon, one of our patrons, he was very... Um... Yeah, patron and a friend. Uh, he was he was talking about that um, too. He really liked the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, like you know, they did they did more than the bare minimum. But I mean, let's be real. The theming here is essentially non-existent, other than the name. And I think I want to say the reason they chose the name Icebreaker, from what I can tell, is because of the spike. The spike. Mm is the is the standout element it's the one that's featured in all the advertising the 110 degree whatever they're saying it is um the idea that when you put a spike into ice and you hit it with a hammer you break the ice which is really a stretch for a thematic connection uh i don't know how do you feel how do you feel about this especially when taking a look at how Mako was themed and how I don't know you yeah you've seen Infinity Falls and that yeah that whole area is absolutely gorgeous the work they mm -hmm. put into the rock work and making that feel just so organic and natural to the park what do you think of kind of a step down as like icebreaker so I haven't seen it in person so it's hard for me to say like oh yeah this is definitely my thoughts on this attraction and how it thematically ties in <laughs> but I know and we've talked about it I don't think we've ever talked about it on the program, but we've talked about it amongst ourselves. Is one of SeaWorld's strengths is building a ride as an access to education. Right. Um, Wild Arctic is an access is a simulator access point to Arctic animals in an exhibit and the different learning and exhibits that are back there. Um, Manta is an access point, a thrilling access point to the Manta Aquarium. Right. Um, Mako is right next to the shark encounter, so on and so forth. Um, is wild first of all, is wild arctic open? Is that no. operating? Wild so arctic is it is pretty much dead for good. Is the exhibit still open? Exhibit's still open, but the current complaint is that you have to enter through the gift shop, so it's kind of a mess because the gift shop is like in this little corner of nowheresville. 
Yeah. When you have this grand entrance for Wild Arctic, and then, yeah, the entrance to all those exhibits is in the back of the gift shop, and you go through a kind of a jank hallway, but... Yeah. That's weird, because I think they also have a bypass hallway, too. Yeah. I don't know why they wouldn't use it. Um, maybe it's still set up for Hallow's Scream. Hallow's Scream. Gotta yeah, move stuff around. Um, so, would you say that Icebreaker might be the new access point to the Wild Arctic exhibit, or are they so far away that you don't even think just, about it? It's just so far away. I mean, especially when you look at the depth of theming in Wild Arctic and just how you have the shipwreck and the ice and everything. Icebreaker has like two ice, two fake icebergs at the marquee, and that's about it. Like not even anywhere else on the ride is there ice to be found. Mm. Hmm. And there's no like talk about the animals and stuff, is there? The the two infographics in the queue talk about the melting ice in the Arctic and kind of global warming and that sort of thing that's about it i guess it makes sense then why that's like in a very sunny part of the park kind of like because the pictures i've seen of it and i haven't seen too many since it's been open but i know like a lot of the images i was seeing leading up to it it looked kind of abandoned and unfinished not the coaster itself but just that area that area is because the whole pathway behind the bayside stadium has nothing it's all festival booths so that part of the park that connects to like you know the big uh ocean or lakeside stadium that path has never even open unless it's a festival so like the back half of icebreaker isn't really going near any guest areas it's just kind of on its own gravel pad basically mm. interesting so i guess because i we should probably wrap this up because i think yeah. we're running low on time we are um we wanted to talk a little bit about kind of the attractions that have slowly gone down and out like wild arctic and antarctica and turtle trek those are probably not going to reopen antarctica and wild arctic probably are dead yeah aside from the exhibits and turtle trek isn't just such a shambles from what we've heard from friends and you know other guests who are tweeting do you think that icebreaker and this kind of thrill ride do you think that's kind of the one, does it distract from it at all? And two, do you think this might be a signal of the direction universe, or not Universal, <laughs> SeaWorld wants to go with their attraction lineup? I would say, in one sense, yes, I agree. This is probably closer to where we're going to see SeaWorld go. On the other hand, I'm optimistic that this was not a major capital investment for them. This was a year when every park in the chain was getting something new. So it mm-hmm. makes sense that not everything was going to have as high of a budget in versus, you know, the times when, all right, we're going to add at two parks this year, two parks next year, two parks the next year, and kind of alternating it out. Um, I think also because it is a stepping stone coaster, there's less of a desire to theme it so extensively. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, also talking about its placement in the park, it's not really somewhere where the theming is necessarily essential. And I, I guess it's it's just kind of confusing because of how well themed and how successful Infinity Falls was. Yeah. Um, and even for Mako, as lightly themed as it is, it you know, it, it really contributes to the atmosphere and the, the vibe of that coaster. 
So I think because those were just big capital investments that happened on their own, it makes sense that they were themed, I think, with... More extensively? Yeah, more extensively to what they are. I think just because this came in a year when every park needs a new coaster because we need to boost attendance, that it got short end of the stick. I am so devastated at the loss of Turtle Trek and Antarctica and Wild Arctic because those were all things that offered variety. They weren't necessarily all the best, but yeah. now SeaWorld has no indoor rides. There's not a single mm. indoor attraction at SeaWorld, and that was that was two that they Not had. even indoor shows. No indoor sh- shows either. Yeah. That and I can just, remember, because yeah. most of them are stadium shows. No, they And that one indoor um show allure i think it was called yeah that's just a lounge now that theater but yeah they they um you know they they just didn't maintain them and they were they were good so to kind of wrap this up though i'm optimistic SeaWorld seems to know that they were in a rough weird direction things like crack and unleashed things that they did to kind of try and bring back people instead of maintaining what they had that didn't work. And I think they're realizing, okay, we need to start cleaning up our park little by little. They've been doing a lot of work on the Sky Tower recently. I didn't know if you knew this, but Sky Tower has been down for a while. Um, And I saw they were working on it today. Scaffolding thing was going up and down, men on it. Like they're, they're working to get Sky Tower back online. Kraken just got a fresh coat of paint. Manta got a fresh coat of paint. Um, like lots of the buildings look fresh the whole front of the park even though they haven't gotten that full redo with the b&m coaster that was rumored for a while you know they opened the coaster coffee company um they've done a good job with social media fostering interactions building yeah, the social media holder. game is pretty good yeah building up passholder loyalty and just i mean journey to atlantis is getting retracked which was something is it really yeah nobody saw that coming but that's closed wow. right now and it's getting retracked um so i think SeaWorld has realized Things are not at their best, and deep in my heart of hearts, I hope that we will see Turtle Trek in Antarctica eventually make the rounds once they've cleaned up the mid-2000s, early-2000s things that are getting their refurb now. And that's that's what I have to say. If you're interested in roller coasters, Icebreaker is worth... If you're in Orlando, it's worth a stop. I don't know if it's worth a trip on its own, but it is a good addition to SeaWorld's lineup. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to riding it, obviously. It's a new roller coaster in the area. Um, and SeaWorld, as you said, has been doing really good for locals. Um, I hope that – I'm sure that Iron Guaz is going to do just as well, if not better, for Tampa uh, and Absolutely. Bush Gardens Park. Um, which, I mean, as we were talking about with, with, with Icebreaker, it's very lightly themed, not really any – not too big of a – uh, message the way some of the other attractions do. I don't think anything's happening with Iron Quasi unless it's about crocodiles and alligators. You can listen to the original score. It's already been released by the composer. Oh, I'll take a look at it. Yeah. But um, thank you, Jonathan, for experiencing the attraction early for all of us who are not uh, pass holders and, and whatnot. Uh, thank you for your uh, opinions and thoughts and uh, insights. Oh, one more thing. Can you rank the roller coasters? Yes. Uh, I know no. you put it on Twitter, but not everyone here has a Twitter or cares to look up your Twitter. I'm, I'm so gonna, here while we got them. I'm going to pull it up on Twitter so that I remember what I said and I don't contradict myself. Uh, <laughs> in, in sixth place, we have Grover's Boxcar Derby. Um, An outrage. 
outrage. You're going to tell me? We waited like, what, 20 minutes for that last time we went together? It was Mark 20. I'm pretty sure we waited about 40. <laughs> but we had nothing better to do at the time. So, <laughs> but. <laughs> um, I don't think Adam would actually disagree with me. No, not uh, at all. Five in fifth place, we have Kraken. Kraken, yeah. that, that might be a, a hot take. It's very, it's a very rough coaster. Very rough. I don't like it. The layout is just boring. It's, it's, you know, it's over concrete and. Like when I think about riding Kumba at Bush Gardens, the pacing of that is just eons ahead of Kraken. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's in a much more interesting location. And combine that with the roughness of Kraken, I just don't love it. Uh, in fourth place, we have Journey to Atlantis. I think this is really unique. I, I can't tell you the number of times I've brought people on the ride and they're just so surprised by that roller coaster segment at the end if you don't tell them about it. It's very sudden. <laughs> it is. It comes out of nowhere. You, you do not expect it. And even though the ride has certainly seen better days, it's it's still it, the exterior is gorgeous and it gets you wet. So can't complain. Bring back Beetlejuice music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in third place, we have the new Icebreaker. I nice. think I I kind of rank rides in terms of rewritability, not necessarily if I think they're the best, but. Like, I will see myself riding Icebreaker more than I'll revisit Journey to Atlantis, Kraken, or Grover. Uh, and I think that's why it, it gets its third place spot. Uh, number two is Manta. Manta might have been number one on a different day. Uh, in recent times, I've found myself unable to ride it more than once or twice per visit, as epic as it is. Um, it is just very intense. Um, I died. Like, I don't know. I, I love Manta to death. It is amazing. The theming is incredible. The pacing, fantastic. The experience, unique. It is just very intense. <laughs> yeah, it 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 puts your body through a lot. Um, <laughs> and then in first place we have Mako. Mako is a joyride. I like. Yeah. You just get on that thing. It's floater airtime. There's that that sense of freedom. You're over the water. The color is purple, which is like my favorite color. I don't know how it could get any better. Um, <laughs> it's it's just a beautiful coaster and it's the best one at SeaWorld for me and it, it does have the extra touch of theming with the sharks coming out above and um it's you know thematically coherent with the shark area it's just a solid package coaster and my favorite at SeaWorld very cool well I think that's going to wrap it up for us today on theme park workshop the all right thank you so much for listening everybody have a great rest of your week and We will see you in the next one. Ice pun.